0: This is Jackson Peterson, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Egg Services in Humboldt, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Egg Services, providing solutions for your success.
1: Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan, along with Tyler Donaldson. We'll also hear from Don Wick in Washington, D.C. The Ag Outlook Forum, uh, at the Ag Outlook Forum, three cabinet-level officials are featured this morning. Secretary of State Antony Blinken providing recorded comments. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack speaking about trade. Red River Farm Network Farm Broadcaster Don Wick is reporting from the Ag Outlook Forum with more on global trade opportunities.
0: The Biden administration is often criticized for not being more proactive in negotiating new trade agreements At the Ag Outlook Forum, U.S. Trade Ambassador Catherine Tai touched on trade breakthroughs with countries like India and Japan, but spent more time on the enforcement of existing trade deals. The Mexican ban on biotech corn imports was at the top of that list.
2: Mexico's policies regarding agricultural biotechnology are threatening to cause serious economic harm to U.S. farmers and Mexican livestock producers. Not only that, we know those policies stifle important innovations that are needed to help producers respond to pressing climate and food security challenges. And this is why last August, the United States established a dispute settlement panel under the USMCA to look at this issue. We will do everything we can to resolve
0: these concerns. Ty also spoke about the concern of market access for U.S. dairy products in Canada.
2: Canada dairy is personal for me, too. If you look back at the history of the NAFTA, one of the first disputes ever filed under the NAFTA was a dispute the U.S. filed against Canada on dairy. When you look at the renewed USMCA, one of the first disputes that we filed under the entire agreement was against Canada, once again, on dairy. Today, We continue to have serious concerns about how Canada is implementing its dairy market access commitments under the USMCA. We will continue to work with Canada to address this issue, but we will also not hesitate to use all available tools, as creatively as we have to, to enforce those trade commitments.
0: The US is expecting a record agricultural trade deficit this year. Ty said that is in part due to a strong U.S. economy and the demand for American farm and food products overseas. Our coverage from the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, made possible by the Minnesota Corn Growers Association, with support from the North Dakota Corn Council, Ag Country Farm Credit Services, and Amity Technologies. Reporting from Arlington, Virginia, and the Ag Outlook Forum, I'm Don Wick on the Red River Farm Network.
3: Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack moderated a forum featuring the U.S. trade ambassadors to Vietnam and the Philippines. Both countries have a very young population with rising middle classes. Ambassador Mark Napper said Vietnam wants more high-value food products. As Vietnam's economy develops, as Vietnam's middle class continues to grow, there's an increasing demand for uh, protein, and so whether this is uh, you know livestock genetics, whether this is animal feed to 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 uh, support Vietnam's increasing livestock industry, or whether it's American uh, meat products, American dairy, uh, these are areas uh, of strong growth uh, and we expect that to continue as well." Ambassador Mary Kay Carlson said the Philippines is the number one export market for U.S. soybean meal and the number two market for U.S. wheat in part, that's 50 years
4: of our colonial legacy, they, as I've mentioned, have a taste for our products. And our wheat really stands up to the caliber and the quality of the baked goods that Filipinos have grown to expect that have, again, been uh, under undergirded by our people-to-people ties with so many Filipino-Americans uh, going back and forth between our countries each year.
1: In a roundtable discussion at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, Former USDA chief economist Rob Johanson shared concerns over some potential issues crop insurance could face over the next decade.
5: You talk to the farmers and they're going to say the most um, effective program in the farm bill is crop insurance. I think the biggest challenge is going to be is that it keeps on growing in terms of the amount of liability covered. And now that livestock insurance is becoming more of a tool that's out there for for big producers with very with no limits on the size of those producers
1: former USDA assistant secretary of economics Dan Sumner was more direct with his thoughts on the current state of crop insurance.
6: Uh, Crop insurance has has two big problems. One is not insurance. It's a subsidy program, and let's just call it that. You know, a dollar invested in crop insurance gets you back on average a couple of bucks. So that's a better investment than almost anything I know, but not every year. So I guess moves around the timing a little bit. Uh, The idea that you would say it's an insurance for an industry, it's a subsidy for an industry, and then say most of the production in the industry wouldn't be covered doesn't make any Sense, as a policy
3: the midwest council on agriculture is promoting a plan to provide more premium support for crop insurance at the 80 and 85 percent levels of coverage Ag Country Farm Credit Services Senior Vice President of Government and Public Affairs Howard Olson sees a benefit for farmers of the region. Farmers in our area, uh, most of them are on 75 percent and lower
5: coverage levels and it's because those 80 and 85 just are too expensive to make that next jump. If we can increase the premium support on those, get more farmers insured at 80 and 85 percent coverage levels, maybe cut down on some of the need for the ad-hoc disaster programs. So, Senator Hovind is working on legislation like that uh, he's looking for some, uh, uh, a co-sponsor on the Democrat um, Senate Ag Committee and, uh, so that they can introduce it as a bipartisan bill. We're, we're working with them closely on that and, and try and move that along and, and have something in the Farm Bill.
3: Olsen, who is participating in the USDA Ag Outlook Forum, is optimistic about this concept.
5: The I states, most of the farmers across Iowa, Illinois, Indiana are on 80 and 85 percent coverage levels. You look all around the rest of the country and 70 and 75 percent is much more the norm and it comes down to price. Uh, areas, uh, the wheat belt, all the way down through the central plains and the entire wheat belt, you'll see them most on 70 and 75 percent coverage levels. I've heard some uh, Eastern Colorado are 65 percent, you know, so it, yeah, it, farmers all over the country would benefit from from increased premium support on those higher levels.
1: You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Friday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network where while there is a push towards electric vehicles growth energy senior vice president chris bliley says the ethanol business is not going away we
6: are going to burn a trillion gallons of liquid fuels this decade we will burn another trillion gallons of fuel next decade another trillion gallons of fuel the following decade regardless of how aggressive your electrification goals may be and so you really need a solution, in our view, that, to help decarbonize those legacy vehicles, vehicles on the road today, vehicles that are going to get built over the next two decades, three decades, that continue to use liquid
1: fuels. The USDA Ag Outlook Forum's Bliley said the higher ethanol blends are having an impact on greenhouse gas emissions.
6: Nationally, if we move to E15, it would be the equivalent of taking four, nearly four million vehicles off the road every year that's that's a simple fuel change that's you know yes there are some infrastructure things that USDA is working on we're working on but you don't have to change over the fleet it that's a simple change and you're reducing by 17 million tons a year in greenhouse gas reduction so we think there's a lot of potential there we're going to continue to build on E15 and E85 and you know potentially even some mid-level higher octane fuels as well like E30
3: Less than 20% of the fed cattle are sold in the spot cash market. However, U.S. Cattlemen's Association President Justin Tupper said those 20% set the base price for the other 80% of cattle
6: sold under an AMA or grid pricing system. We believe that uh, they can manipulate that 20% by putting in heiferets, which would be a little bit aged cattle, less quality cattle. Uh, and put those into that five-state weighted average and keep that base price down giving the packer a huge advantage over anybody trying to sell in the spot cash market
3: Tupper, who ranches and owns the St. Ange Livestock Auction, said there is too little competition with just four packers controlling the cattle market But it's no
6: different than when the government years ago had to bring, break up Big Oil or they had to break up Ma Bell Those are huge lifts but there are things we have to think about when it gets so big that there are no other ways to do it. We have to make sure that living and working in rural America can be profitable, which will make our food system more
1: resilient, reliable, and sustainable.
6: Tupper was part of a breakout
3: session
1: at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum. Nearly 80% of poultry production is grown under contract arrangements. For pork, 70% is marketed under some form of a contract. American Farm Bureau Federation Livestock Economist Bernt Nelson said the use of contracts or alternative marketing arrangements in the cattle industry varies by region. For example, back at our farm in North Dakota,
6: 70 to even 90% of the cattle might be negotiated, or may be sold on negotiated cash trade on a given day. Whereas if we hop across the country down to Texas, we might see as little as 5% more sold on negotiated cash trade.
1: While the lower cattle in, or with the lower cattle inventory, Nelson says it's just more expensive for farmers and ranchers to expand. Tank mixing chemicals can help save time and fuel,
3: but extension sugar beet specialist, Tom Peters, says sugar beet growers should be cautious of certain tank mixes to avoid plant injury. That all makes good
7: sense, provided that these mixtures are physically compatible, that they don't turn into cottage cheese, or that they don't injure sugar beets. You know, sugar beets aren't terribly tolerant to any of our herbicides. All of our herbicides, to some degree, are injured. Especially when it's cold and wet, sometimes our sugar beets have problems metabolizing two or three products all at the same time and the outcome of that can be injury.
3: The final seminar will take place in Grafton on February
7: 20th. If you aren't able to attend a seminar our information will be at the Sugar Beet Research and Education Board website. So you can access our information, the presentations at that site. So that would be sbreb.org. And you can get access to everything that we talked about at the grower seminars.
3: Reporting agriculture's business, this is the Red River Farm Network.
1: Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Let's catch up with Ag Week editor, Jenny Schleck. Jenny, what's on the cover of Ag Week this week?
4: Well, this week, Ariana Schumacher and Bailey and I worked together on a story about just the state of the U.S. cattle herd, and specifically beef cows. Uh, The last USDA uh, herd inventory showed a continued uh, decrease in the number of beef cattle in the U.S., and we know that we've had a lot of that up here in the Northern Plains, Upper Midwest, and so we we talked to producers and uh, a livestock auction, and, and then just looked at the statistics to see what what's happening and are we going to see any rebuilding here
1: is it mostly weather related or economics or both or what are you finding
4: you know i think that both have been cited you know the, the drought conditions throughout the u.s have really contributed and if you look at uh, south dakota and nebraska the number of, of beef cows lost is is massive it's over a quarter million um in the past like five years i think it was and so drought is a big part of that but also there have been years where having cattle hasn't been overly profitable for the amount of work it is and so people have sold down and the question now is going to be are they going to build back up and Anne did talk to a rancher in Towner, north dakota where they've had a lot of drought in recent years who has gotten his herd back to normal by keeping more replacement heifers and uh you know a man that ariana talked to in south dakota who owns a livestock auction sees people uh, buying back in and, and really trying to replace those genetics they lost um, when they had to sell down because of the drought.
1: So we're, what, what I'm hearing then is it, we may rebuild, but it's going to be slow.
4: Yeah, definitely going to be slow, and you take keeping a replacement heifer, you're looking at at least three years until that calf um, is ready to be finished or ready to become a replacement heifer uh, itself, um, and that's, that's a long time.
1: Sounds interesting, Jenny. Looking forward to reading about it next week's Ag Week. Let's check market numbers before we leave you this afternoon. Down two and a quarter Minneapolis wheat at 655 and three quarters on the March contract. Chicago March wheat's down six and three quarters. Kansas City March down nine. March corn down a penny and a quarter at four, uh, 416 and a quarter. July corn's unchanged at 439 and three quarters. March soybeans eight cents higher, 1170 and a quarter. May soybeans eight higher, 1174. <laughs> In Winnipeg, March canola, $8.60 a metric ton higher. April live cattle are $1.90 higher. March feeder cattle, $4.72 higher. April hogs, $0.20 higher. This is the Red River Farm Network.